This, this is the Mike Salt Show. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. See, we found out all the food that they're going to have at uh, T-Mobile this year. We got to get into that. We get, not with Jerry necessarily, because we'll talk to Jerry here in a minute. And more important things to talk about, right? But I do want to think a little bit about that because you were throwing some names out there yesterday yeah. that I thought were very intriguing. So I'd like to make sure we go over that at some point today. Uh, I did. Um, somebody just wrote back to me here and said, "What do you mean paint drinking for Bruce Arians? What does that mean?" <laughs> so I sent him the article with the headline: "Bruce Arians says he drank paint as a kid twice." <laughs> And uh, the reply on the text machine here says, oh, it means drink paint. That, that was my exact reaction right. when you brought it up. Yeah. Like, I thought that could not be a real like, thing. What do you mean he drinks paint? Like, oh, is that some sort of a euphemism for something? No, it literally means exactly that, that twice he drank paint. Have you seen the Always Sunny episode where Charlie drinks green paint no. for St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> Does he make green beer? No, that's funny. <laughs> okay. So, you got to watch that one. There you go. That uh, That's sort of the, the latest with Bruce Arians, who has retired. <laughs> Um, what's kind of crazy, man, all this sort of a weird little confluence of events. So Bruce Willis retired yesterday from acting really sad story, aphasia, which is a, you know, a disorder with his language, understanding and speaking. Uh, he's not gonna be able to act anymore. And, and honestly, it sounds like his life is going to be, you know, very challenging moving forward. One of my all time favorite actors, probably as important to me as any actor. Die Hard is by far my favorite movie. I've seen it well it's got to be 250 plus times. I mean, just I memorized it as a kid. It was it was everything to me for years and years and years and years. So uh, just really sad. We'll, we'll kind of run through some other Bruce Willis films, maybe in rank. Today. I was going to ask just, you, are we going to do a, a Willis? I feel like we probably ranks? should. Right. Uh, just so many, you know, in the 90s, you know, he was making action movies. It was just like one after another after another. I would just go see them no matter what they were. I mean, like I saw Hudson Hawk and uh, Striking Distance and some of these, you know, things that were not very good. But Bruce Willis is in it. So mm-hmm. you're just like, well, OK, I'll watch it. It's an action movie and Bruce is in it. And in each one, he'd be sort of sarcastic and, you know, kind of play the everyman a little bit. I think that's what everyone loved about Bruce Willis, especially in contrast to Arnold Schwarzenegger and to a lesser extent, um, Sly Stallone. Is that he just he wasn't jacked. He wasn't huge. He wasn't a ridiculous looking person. He was like just a guy. Right. He'd been in moonlighting, for God's sakes, a a comedy. And he turned himself into this action star through Die Hard. And it just clicked. Right. It like just kind of changed the idea of what an action hero could look like. And so, yeah, I mean, whether it's that Pulp Fiction uh, Sin City, we played a little of that earlier. It's a great movie. Armageddon. Remember the whole nine yards? The whole, yeah, he's funny because Bruce could, yeah, he yeah, could pull off some comedy, comedy a little bit. And he'd started off his talking. He's, he's great in Look Who's Talking. <laughs> Seriously, he's like legitimately very funny as the voice of the, I mean, the voice of a baby being played by Bruce Willis. That's pretty funny. So, um, yeah, we can run through some of those. I don't know. We, if anybody has any ideas for a Bruce Willis-inspired rant, yes, we're it, all ears. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And it won't just be my favorite five lines from Die Hard, I promise. We won't just <laughs> do that. Every year I end up live-tweeting Die Hard at some point, and I end up losing followers on Twitter throughout it. So <laughs> I get it. I know you don't want to hear it. Fifth Element, 12 Monkeys. There's a ton. <sighs> Fifth Element. Yeah, there's a lot of really good Bruce, Bruce Willis movies. He's a pretty tremendous actor. So. Um, all right, Jerry DePoto going to join us here in, uh, it sounds like we're about to have Jerry. Do we have Jerry? It sounds like we do. All right, Jerry, good morning. Hello. How are you? Very good. I, I hear I need to, to dust up on my die hard. Yeah. It's sad. I don't, did you see that Bruce Willis is retiring yesterday? It kind of bummed me out. 
I, I did not. Yeah. Now that you've told me, I am I too am bummed out. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't want you making jokes and not knowing about it. Bruce uh, retired yesterday; he has aphasia, so it's actually sort of a sort of a sad situation. But let's talk some baseball. That's sort of why we gather here today. We're a week away from opening day. Do you feel ready? I, I do feel ready. I did, but I, I guess I'm the least important of the the brood that will be headed north in, in a couple of days here. What um, what stood out as you've been watching your team in general? What has stood out about them? I just the energy, the, the the vibe in the clubhouse from the day the players arrived has just been terrific, and you, know, you can sense a belief in in each other and what we're doing, and and in and what our season has a chance to be. And they've been focused in their work, and you know, in a short time have put in about as much work prepare as you possibly could when you're watching these games because we've seen you know uh, they've won some they've lost some should we be putting any stock whatsoever into what we see whether it's in watching a spring training game or the box score of a game what should we be looking for i mean sure watching them matters you know it's uh you're watching and you're just looking to see the way guys are moving you know are they swinging at the right pitches? Are they generally hitting the ball hard when they hit it? It's, are they running well? Are the defenders moving well? Are the pitchers, do, do, do you see the same spin, similar velocities? Are you seeing, you know, traits that, that suggest that in, as reps start to ramp up, these guys will get into, you know, what I would call their tools. And, and for the most part, we're, we're very pleased with where we are in, in our preparation. Is there anybody that has been moving well, hitting hard, throwing well or whatever, but maybe hasn't seen the results? So if, if a fan or a listener is just checking the box score every day, they're not necessarily seeing what you're seeing? Oh, a ton of them. <laughs> and that's probably, you know, all around baseball. That's the nature of spring training is, you know, you're going to get a guy with an 1100 OPS who you know, might be doing it at the end of games. Where, you know, when the, when the younger guys start to come in and there's not a lot of, uh, the, the competition level isn't quite as high as it is during the front half of the game. Uh, could be guys like we've had, you know, frankly, I think uh, Jared Kelnick has had good at bats all spring. He's generally swinging at the right pitches and, you know, his prep, his BPs in the morning. Everything looks right, but probably hasn't shown up in a box score the way you'd like to see it. I'd say the same about Jesse Winker. It irrefutably swings at the right pitches. He just hasn't connected as often as he will once he's gone. But you rely on track record. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Kelnick. I was sort of hoping when I asked the question that that's where you were going to go because, you know, he's just so important to the development of this team, obviously, especially offensively. And when, you know, we talk a lot about his mental space, and he was pretty honest with me when I talked to him down there about how he had been, you know, it was a pretty intense experience and he was gripping the bat pretty tight. I asked him what he was looking to do this year, and this is something he mentioned. I thought I thought it was interesting. If my swing can look effortless, that's what I want. I want people, when I hit the ball, they're like, man, you made it look so easy. Then I know I'm doing the right thing. He's, he's going for effortless. Do you think that is, is that working? Well, I, I would say it's working, and that if you look at a spray chart of where Jared has hit the ball this spring, and especially where he's found his hits, it's all up the middle to the left side of the field which is the polar opposite of what we saw a year ago. He's really been focused on an easy swing and not grinding on the bat too hard, not focusing on the pull side, trying to hit every ball out of the ballpark, just focusing on being a good hitter and then letting his natural power take over. And and again, I I think that has been a positive development. And when we've seen him drive the ball from center field on over to the left field foul pole, 
in, in ways that we just didn't last year. And I think that's positive development. How has his uh, center field play been? There's no issue. You know, I think he came in ready to play center field. And between he and Julio, you know, it's been, it's been a positive this spring. And as you've seen, we've rotated guys. He hasn't only played center field. He's played all three, as has Julio. You know, most most of their reps have been in center field, and you know we're pleased with what we see. Are you ready to say Julio Rodriguez will be on the opening day roster today, Jerry? I'll let you know in a couple of days. We <laughs> thought maybe we could get a sneak peek. Uh, he's been pretty awesome, man. It's just been so much fun to watch him. I know he had kind of a tough day yesterday, but listening to you on your podcast and just the way everyone is talking about him, it sure seems like, as you said, you, every obstacle that you've laid out for him, he's found a way to knock down. How? Uh, how? What have you seen from Julio so far here in these couple of weeks? Well, you know, he's the guy who has hit the ball hard from day one. I think every day you see something from Julio that makes you lift your eyebrow. And, you know, he's he's been hitting the ball in excess of 110 miles an hour with routine. You see it in the games. He is the guy that's OPSing, you know, a thousand in spring training. And it's, it's in the front half of games where the competition is, is a little stiffer. We've seen extra base power. We've seen speed. We've seen a a really, a phenomenal transition of his defensive game. He's always been a good defensive corner outfielder who could throw, but to go do what he did with his body and turn himself into a center fielder who quite frankly looks like he's been playing center field his whole career. And that's been encouraging his, his foot speed and and how he has changed. You know, it's hard to get faster in your, in your twenties. And he just, he's gotten considerably faster He's been able to do anything that we've thrown in front of him, and and he certainly put a lot on our plate as we prepare to make the final decisions for for our roster next week. So Scott mentioned yesterday he had kind of a tough day, right? I think Scott called it a learning experience. He struck out a few times, a base running thing. You know how how do you measure things like that, and how do you account for you know essentially youth as you're trying to figure out where his place is heading into the year? I mean, you hit it. It's, it's youth. And, and I said this last year with, with Jared Kelnick, with Logan Gilbert, with Cal Raleigh. You have to understand when you're, when you're dealing with young players as they develop in the big leagues, they're going to make mistakes. And, and the mistakes in the big leagues get noticed a lot more than they do in double A AA or triple A by virtue of how many people are watching and the fact that there is some urgency to the wins and the losses. And, and he's going to make them. He's going to get, He's going to get thrown out at third, making a, a I guess it's making the base running boo boo. He's going to forget that there's two outs in an inning, and these are things that happen when you're 21. And and all we can do is is take that learning moment, remind him of what's happening. And my sense with Julio is that he won't forget the next time. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as a mistake repeater. Brock would always talk about that in in coaching football that it's okay to make mistakes, but you don't want to be a mistake repeater. That he, he learns very quickly. I, th- I think you've heard me say before, he's very smart. And he's a great listener. He asks excellent questions. And, and believe me, no one walked away from that game yesterday that feeling, I guess, feeling that they learned more than Julio. He'll, he'll take that. He'll come in today, and it will be a focus for him. Um, yeah, it's, it's an easy mistake to make. It, it looked like the ball was, was going to be a, a, an infield play, and, and it squeaked through. And, and he allowed himself to, to get caught up in that moment. Mm-hmm. The strikeouts are going to happen. You know, part of being a hitter with power in this league is that you're going to strike out, especially as you start to see more refined breaking stuff and command 
than you've ever seen before. So putting too much expectation that he's going to roll into the league, like maybe like Juan Soto did when he was 19, it's unfair. He's a super talented player who's going to make mistakes and he's going to do some wonderful things along the way. Hey, you had a player a couple of years ago come in and immediately have some success and Kyle Lewis and obviously the injuries have just been brutal. Where is he at right now in his health? Should we expect to see him soon? Where's Kyle Lewis at? Yeah, you know, we're hopeful that, that over the next six or seven days, he's able to get some backfield game debuts in these minor league games. And, and probably start out with DH days, so we're not taxing his legs too much. But he's full go on his baseball activity and, and just building up his, his tolerance or his stamina. That When we put him out there again, we feel he's 100%. And, and you know, as I've mentioned before, we're, we're not – pushing opening day as you need to be ready here as we there's a long season to play and we want to make sure that we have kyle for as, as much of it as we can do you have a sense as when that might be i mean do you think may 1st june 1st do we have a sense of when he might be ready i'd just be guessing you know he's effectively he's starting his prep his spring training prep uh right about now okay he's, he's physically getting out on the field and starting to gather, the other guys are going to be they're they're going to have the benefit of fifty plus at bats. We'd like to give Kyle at least that same benefit. Makes sense. Uh, speaking of uh, at bats, what was it like watching this one? I don't know whether you were paying necessarily the most attention to the hitter, but tell me, take me through the emotions as you're watching this. Depoto with a new baseball looks in, has a sign. Now the set, and again the O2 on the way to unroll, and it's strike three called on the inside corner. Jonah DePoto with a strikeout. He takes care of the first two batters that he faces here in the bottom of the eighth inning. That name's awfully familiar. Jonah DePoto with a couple uh, with a strikeout and a one, two, three inning. What was it like? I was um, really just a thrill of lifetime. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been proud of, of all my kids from the day they were born. But, you know, they keep doing things that will shock you and amaze you. But, when you get to see your your children go out and realize dreams, it's a cool thing. And and for my wife and I to have been there for his first day on a major league diamond, even if it is spring training, to, to have been against our team was pretty phenomenal. You know, he had been over to uh, to back up before with the Royals and hadn't gotten in the game. So that this was a uh, it was a really cool thing. And and he did well enough that they put him back on the card again today. So you know maybe he's uh, he's turning this into an opportunity. Are you, are you glad he's not on your team? Like, would it be impossible to be objective in trying to be the GM for your own son? It would. And, and, and frankly, I've obviously, as you can tell by the way he delivers the ball, we've spent a lot of time together over the years. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it is very hard to, to, to separate yourself from being a father. You know, and as a result, I've always told him, you, this part is, is yours. You have to run with it. You know, there's, I've helped you as much as I can. If you need, if you need mental skills help, if you need approach help, a tip, I can help you. But you know, at the end of the day, there's 29 other teams that you're going to have to figure out if you can make it with them because we can't be one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I could manage that. Yeah, I don't blame you. It makes perfect sense. I can't imagine being unbiased about my own child. I mean, I just, you know, you think the most of them and, and you want what's best for them. Uh, we, we were doing, we read an article this, I wanted to ask you about this. I was reading this article Justin found for me. Did you know that second base isn't where we think it is, Jerry? Second base isn't where we think it is. Well, and it's not really where it's supposed to be. I was reading this article that second base, whereas the, the right angle around first and third is at the back corner of the bag, 
the right angle at second base is in the middle, not at the back. And so if they were to move it a few inches closer towards the plate, which they're talking about doing in the minor leagues this year, or maybe it's the Atlantic League, you would actually shrink the distance between first and second by, I think it's 13 and a half inches. That seems like an like a huge, huge difference in terms of stolen bases, plays at second base, etc. What would a foot-plus difference mean between first and second? I think, dude, honestly, I think you'll see more runs. And, and, and that was the impetus. And I didn't know that. You know, you're, you're telling me something I didn't know. And the, uh, that's the impetus for the bigger bags. You know, the, the experiment with, with larger bags at the bases is intended to you have more more base in fair territory. There's a, the base is closer to the base dealer. Again, just trying to create more action in a game. And, and I think that's a, you know, it, it's generally a good thing for baseball. If we can keep the action moving, whether it's by, by adjusting the field to represent maybe what it's supposed to look like or make subtle adjustments that don't change the aesthetic of the game, but they change the pace. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what the fans are telling us that they want to see. Well, as a general manager then, or in this case, the president of baseball operations, would you make, would that, if, if there was, let's say, 13 and a half inch difference, and then add in the extra size of the base, you could end up with a 19 inch difference in, in, in the different, in the distance between home or first base and second base. Would that cause you to go out and find more base stealers, more athletic players? Would it cause you as an organization to put the game in motion more? No, I, I don't see why it wouldn't. But frankly, you know, it's something we've been generally trying to do for, for the last handful of years. And, and as we've gotten younger and more athletic, we do take advantage of, of that speed more than we used to. I wouldn't call us the, uh, a, a running team. But we're certainly not a station-to-station group. You know, we were probably in the top half of the league in, in how we approach the game on the bases. But there is a when we can find when we can find the fast ones, we'll, we'll take them because there aren't that many that can that can hit and defend and go steal bases. So you know, grab them when you can. Well, and obviously you did with Gerard Dyson a couple of years ago, and Billy Hamilton's been in camp. How has he looked so far? He's one of the fastest players ever to play this game. Yeah, it really is. Billy has two elite skills. You know, he can really run the bases, and he's an awesome defender. And, you know, he can play all three. We've given him opportunities to play center and and left here in spring training. You know, he's got a couple of hits, but that's not really what makes Billy valuable. It's it's what he does on the bases. And and you saw it a couple of days ago when Ty France – you know, hit the ball into right center field with Billy on first base, and and without even drawing a throw, he scored from first base. And you know that that's a that's a a play for six years. We've been you know we we haven't really had that element outside of, outside of dice. You know, there guys that can really run like that make it so much easier. You, you don't have to get three hits or three runners in an inning to score runs, or you don't have to hit homers, and and that's a real advantage, which which gives Billy real value. Another guy who's really had a great spring, uh, Abraham Toro. Uh, I've heard some of the Ben Zobris comps. I know you guys have been looking for a Ben Zobris type who could play multiple positions and really hit for you. What does this year look like in a for you with Abraham Toro? Yeah, you know, Abe is. I have to say, he's one of the, the most, uh, I guess, encouraging developments this spring. Is we're seeing offense that looks. It's it's legit. He swings at the right pitches. He uses the whole field. He's doing it as both a left and right hander. You know, he's never going to be a 35 homer guy, but he's going to be a guy who has high on base skills, sprays the ball around the field. He's a he's a plus runner. He runs the base as well. 
and he can play every position on the field, sounds catcher and pitcher. So, you know, I'm sure if we asked him, he would try it. <laughs> but uh, he is he's going to be a really valuable piece to our lineup. And I know Scott has really developed a ton of confidence in what he's capable of. And the fact that we've moved him around the, the diamond defensively this spring is, is indicative of how we intend to, to find his blade appearances. You know, when he'll we talked to third, he'll play from second, some left, he'll, he'll, he'll get in there and do the things that we want to see from a versatile player who can really get us off him. Will he hit 500 this year? Is that a reasonable expectation? I, I think that's unreasonable. Okay. We won't <laughs> but, hold him to that. You know, I. He's going to hit, but I, I don't think I don't think he'll he'll approach 500. Hey, uh, when we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, down in Peoria, you mentioned that you're looking for a starting pitcher. You're looking for somebody, uh, and I'll you know that, that will pitch near the top of the rotation more than the bottom. It's been a couple of weeks. It seems like sort of the momentum in in baseball is that some of the big deals have been slowing down a little bit. Where are you at in your hunt for another pitcher? I'm not encouraged by the the likelihood that it'll happen, certainly, you know, before opening day. And as I said, you know, in, in couching that, we our preference was to find someone who pitched closer to the top or give our young pitchers an opportunity. And and I think over the last, you know, week or 10 days, certainly the outings that you've seen from Matt Brass, from George Kirby, you know, and then while well, you haven't seen it on the backfields you know, a couple of mornings ago with Levi Stout, these guys have pitched – good to excellent and you know some of them have been eye openers and we have a lot of momentum in camp with our own young arms so you know we feel really good about the position we're in whether or not we do acquire somebody just watching matt brash the other day i mean just he i i keep coming back with him and kirby to the Kerry wood mark Pryor uh uh comp just sort of the ease with which kirby throws and then the raw stuff of uh of brash if you've got to make a decision between these two guys for a fifth starter to start the season what goes into making that decision mostly just who we think is more prepared and and like with every other decision we make that's typically not about the physical stuff or the physical tools it's it's almost always about where we feel like the player is developmentally or emotionally and you know i i am there i think without reason Matt has the the upper hand because he was able to to absorb a week of of major league action at a high leverage moment in our season last year. So despite the fact that he didn't get into a game, he knows what the environment is like when it's at its at its best. And and he's been unbelievably composed this spring. I think you've seen in each of uh, his outings as well as with George, they just get better and better. And with George, it's almost inning by inning from the first inning he's thrown until this last. It, it's been an incredible growth period for him. And, you know, with Brash, he went from being good to being a knockout. And, you know, we'll see both of them again on, on Friday, and, and the likelihood is we will determine from that day what our fifth starter position looks like. That's great stuff. Jerry, thank you for spending a little extra time. We appreciate it. Looking forward to doing this throughout the season. I can't believe we're a week away from opening day, but when we talk next, it will be opening day. It'll be that morning. The roster will be set. The bunting will be out, and you guys will be ready to go. Looking forward to it. Thank you. You got it, guys.